BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose podcast on justthenews.com. And wherever you get your podcasts, make sure and hit the subscribe button wherever it is. And I have no idea where it is, but they always say they hit the subscribe button. So I will add to hit the subscribe button. A lot to talk about today. Um, the Israeli poll, the polls in Israel close, I think, uh, right about now. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, so we'll get into that a bit. Um, we've also got issues related to the elections and these predictions of the red wave, which drive me crazy. I don't know why our friends all over conservative media are constantly touting the red wave, the red wave. I mean, you're an old political hand. You're always 10 points down. You never talk about a red wave. You never talk about how you're going to crush the enemy and the opponent in the election. You always want your voters to believe like you that it's a it's a closely run thing and if all of this uh end zone touchdown dancing before we're in the end zone prevents even some of the marginal candidates that are close from crossing that finish line i think we're going to deeply regret a lot of this this pregame celebration you, you know tom uh, it, it's not just uh the the celebration uh, there was a, a one of the NFL games over the weekend. Uh, there was a play at the very end of the game in, in which uh, uh, a player uh, scored an improbable touchdown. And he not only danced in the end zone, he took his helmet off because he wanted everybody to see that he was responsible and who he was. Right. So, of course, 15 yard penalty, which moved the extra point line back 15 yards. The extra point was missed. Game went into overtime and his team lost. We're, we've got a bunch of people that are not only celebrating before uh, Election Day has happened, but we got them ripping their helmets off, ready to take credit for a victory they haven't gotten so yet. you so you agree with me this scares me and it's it's from our side it's from it fox you. news <laughs> <laughs> no i mean fox news all the time talking about how we're going to crush it and god hopes they're right but that's not the way to inspire massive the massive turnout we need not just to win the elections that we're predicted to win but to win those on the fringe, to make sure Lee Zeldin gets across the finish line, to make sure Patty Murray is retired, that we get a Republican governor of Oregon. These are very, very close races. And if there's a sense that it's all sewn up, all wrapped up, we got our helmets off. We're not in the end zone yet. They're not going to make it. Yeah. You know, Tom, one of my uh, earliest memories in the, in the Reagan administration was or in a, in the first year or so, I had an opportunity to make a presentation to President Reagan on the issue of educational choice. And we were sitting there at the cabinet table. It was a beautiful day outside. 
people were kind of, you know, looking around, wishing they were outside. And I'm going through my presentation to the president. I, I got to be honest with you, Tom, he looked a little bored. I wasn't even sure he was paying attention. I got to the end of my presentation and I was getting ready to make the point. Well, in fact, I made the point. I said, not only that, Mr. President, but the polling data shows. And I was getting ready to tell him that the polls showed that most Americans, if you described it correctly, uh, supported educational choice, the idea of vouchers and tuition tax credits. But I only got as far as not only that, Mr. President, but the polling data shows and he leaned forward to me. His face turned red. He had a pencil in his hand. He was on the verge of breaking it. And he said that looked at me and he said, Gary, don't ever come in here citing a poll to me. You just tell me your best advice on what we should do for the country. So I said, yes, sir. I went back to my office, changed my underwear and never brought up a poll to him again. Now, I bring it up, Tom, because we've got a bunch of Republicans, uh, many of whom I admire and they're good, good men and women. But they're talking about polls. You get a question about a poll or you get a question about, you know, what what do you think happened to now put you guys back in the lead? Your answer ought to always be polls schmoles. You know, two weeks ago, we were behind. Today, we look like we're ahead. The only poll that matters is a week from now. I'm I'm confident that we're going to do well, but it doesn't have anything to do with polls. The Republican ought to say, I'm confident we're going to do well because this president and his party have failed at everything they have attempted. And my party and our ideas are the only hope that America has for the future. And then you remind everybody, not what the polls say, but why a week from now they ought to be voting Republican. Right. And my confidence is premised upon the critical fact that you will vote yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, look, I know some people think if it looks hopeless, Democrat candidates will despair. Their volunteers will, you know, not show up if it's a rainy day. Maybe some of their big donors uh, won't write these last minute checks. That's what we would do. The Democrats are ideologues. <laughs> and the more you tell them that things are not going well, they double down. <laughs> Before that just means... That just means they're going to amp up their cheating program. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly are right. We still on the, are we still on the air? Are we still on the air? <laughs> just, just before we came on the air, you um, uh, were telling me about an Atlantic magazine piece that I have not seen. Um, and I interrupted you to say, let's start recording. So why don't we cut straight to that? This is Bauer Live. I don't know anything about the Atlantic magazine article. I haven't seen it. Uh, but it's about COVID and start talking. Well, uh, so this is a piece written by an economist, Emily Oster, and uh, she calls in this article for what she calls, calls a COVID amnesty. And the, the basic uh, argument she makes, and it's one that as a Christian, I can see the appeal of it. She says we need to just forgive each other. Gee, I wonder who I wonder who she thinks should be forgiven here. Is it us? No, no, it isn't. Tom. It's uh, when she says we should forgive each other. She means that those of us who flew in the face of the artificial consensus that was created in America between big government 
and big social media to censor all dissenting voices and to force us to accept things that made no logical sense and that, in fact, things that ended up violating our basic constitutional rights. I mean, they shut down our churches. They shut down our schools. Our kids are suffering from that today. They'll suffer from it for years to come. They crushed small businesses. They made us take an unproven vaccine, and we're getting more and more evidence that that vaccine may, in fact, have done a lot more damage than anyone possibly imagined. They kept uh, abortion clinics open because they were essential. Well, they forced Americans to close our churches and synagogues uh, in violation to our freedom of religion because they weren't essential. The list mm. just goes on and on and on. They, they, took, they took COVID patients, and where did they put them? They put them in nursing homes where the most vulnerable people were. People lost tens of thousands, maybe over 100,000 of their parents and grandparents that were stuck in nursing homes being exposed to COVID-infected patients. The list just goes on and on and on. Well, when I saw this article and I saw how quickly liberals were running to embrace it, including today when, shock of all shocks, the head of the teachers union, uh, Randy Weingartner, said, oh, what a wonderful idea. Now, I, this may contradict what we just got finished talking with Tom. But uh, talking about, but when I see the article and then the embrace of the article by all these people on the left, now to me, that is the most compelling proof yet that the left thinks in a week we are going to take the House and Senate. And gee, what would that mean? It means that we will have the power to conduct investigations. And those investigations, at least in part, are going to zero in on what Big medicine, big, big pharma, big government and big media did that ended up harming the American people in ways that go way beyond the terrible destruction of the virus itself. Well, I mean, we've got you've had COVID. I've had COVID. I've actually had it four times. Um, well, you're going to have to keep getting it until you get it right, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with the vaccines. I've had my I had two boosters. Every time I get a vaccine, I get sick. Actually, the first two times, I, that's not the case. But anyway, uh, be that as it may, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Elon Musk buys Twitter. And I want to talk with Gary about um, Iran for a second, because something has happened in the Middle East, in Israel, vis-a-vis Iran and the Biden administration that very few people are paying any attention to. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast right here on JustTheNews.com. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you in the second 
segment of the Bauer and Rose podcast for Tuesday, Election Day in Israel. Here it is one week from today. If you haven't voted, vote early and vote often, as they used to say in Illinois. Elon Musk buys Twitter closes last Thursday, whatever it was. Um, I saw a tweet. I can't remember who it's from. That says it better than anything I've heard from anyone else. And that is that um, remember when President Trump was being permanently banned from Twitter and Twitter was censoring all of us and canceling all of us. The argument from the left was that, hey, Twitter's a private company. It can do whatever it wants. Well, it was actually a publicly traded company. But now it actually is a private company. And the very same people who claim that its private sector status immunized it from any criticism. The very same people now say that once Elon Musk bought it, uh, Twitter's too dangerous and has to be shut down. That's a great point, Tom. And uh, there's another angle on this that uh, even though it was, quote unquote, a private company, we're now learning from whistleblowers and others that that private company was sitting down with big government with the Biden administration, and they were colluding to shut down all debate about COVID, about uh, election fraud, and about Hunter Biden's laptop. Gee, three topics, all of which the left benefited from and the right was hurt by. And look, you know, when when we would say to the Biden administration, you're sent, you're trying to censor us, they would say, well, we're not doing anything to censor you. We, we can't control what Facebook and Twitter and all these other places do. Well, now we, we know for a fact that they were working together. They had one aim. They were methodical about it. And if, if you get big government and big social media, big government and Silicon Valley, uh, you know, making common cause to shut down middle America, that is a significant threat to our constitutional liberties and something that I think uh, sooner rather than later, uh, the courts, including the Supreme Court, are going to have to deal with. By, by the way, Tom, have you noticed this? The phrase I'm leaving Twitter has become the new I'm going to Canada. Uh, if only, remember? if only. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish they would quit Twitter and go to Canada. Yeah, there's no reason why you can't do both. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's no. I mean, we have allegations stories out this week, late last week, about Google, and you knew this, and I knew this, and everyone listening knew it. Uh, we didn't have uh, demonstrative proof, but we do now from whistleblowers inside Google. They, during the 2020 election, shoved through their algorithmic machinations hundreds of millions of emails, of ads from Republicans automatically into spam folders. They promoted similar messages from Democrats. This Democrat media establishment, and it's, it's one and the same, <clears throat> aided by our silence, I don't mean Gary Bauer and Tom Rose's silence. I mean silence from leaders on our side has dictated now that any question whatsoever about the integrity of that election is ipso facto evidence of of insurrection and treason. Only Democrats get to dispute elections, Gary. That's the new rule. They lose. We do the same, right? With far greater justification. It's treason. That doesn't sound very American to me, and we're seeing evidence of that now in Georgia. 
where Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, who is the incumbent governor in her own mind, and with media approval and privilege for the last four years, claiming the election was stolen from her, is now prophylactically claiming that what will happen next Tuesday is already stolen. So there's this, this isn't just hypocrisy, because hypocrisy implies there's a value involved, a principle involved, that one side that's engaging in it violates. But I don't think it's hypocritical of Democrats, because they don't have any values of consistency. Their value is power. Their purpose is power. Leonid Brezhnev, former head of the Soviet Union, um, in the latter days used to have, they used to joke about the Brezhnev doctrine, what's mine is mine and what's yours is negotiable. Yeah, you, you know, Tom, it, it's, uh, it's really striking and, and it's a little unnerving uh, uh, on how they have so effectively been able to uh, set the table and then make everybody in journalism follow the same narrative, uh, almost as if a commissar, uh, speaking of the old Soviet Union, was standing right at the shoulder of every uh, reporter and commentator, making sure that every word was typed the way it should be typed. The really depressing thing is that in the old Soviet Union, there were probably a lot more journalists who, if somebody wasn't looking over their shoulder, would write things dangerous for communism. But we've got so many reporters today that don't need anybody looking over their shoulder. You can go through any daily edition of the Washington Post and every article in the newspaper that in any way mentions Donald Trump or anybody running on the Republican ticket, uh, any debate between that Republican and the Democrat no matter what state, what time frame, every article will say uh, so-and-so is an election denier or so-and-so who questions the election without any proof. Donald Trump, who has no proof that anything was untoward. False claims, false like, claims, false claims. Yeah, it's just over and over and Everywhere over Everywhere in the Wall Street Journal, in yes. USA Today, which, of course, is left wing. But Wall Street Journal is somewhat surprising. I see it in National Review, falsely claims, falsely claims. Back in the old days, I went to journalism school, was a practicing journalist for about 25 minutes. Back in the old days. Um, Tom, you, you were the editor of the <laughs> Jerusalem Post. I mean, folks, people don't know this. I mean, Bauer and Rose, I don't know why my name's first other than alphabetically. I, Tom, I first met you on the roof You're right. of the building that the Jerusalem Post, the most important newspaper in Jerusalem, Israel, uh, is published from. And I on met a July Tom 4 picnic the, day. We had a July 4 right. picnic for expat Americans yeah. and Gary Bauer on the roof of the yes. I mean, it was like one hundred and seventy five degrees or something, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I I, I know we're digressing, but I, I still remember how my ears perked up and I had to think a second when I heard you and the and the reporters that were working for you talk about something that had just happened that wasn't very good. I don't remember what it was. And somewhat it might have been you said, well, I, I, you know, I don't like it, but it's it's uh, it's not an existential question. So I think we just need to move on to other things. And I go, well, what do you mean existential question? And it hit me that if you live in a little aosis, oasis of democracy or freedom, 
in the middle of the neighborhood that Israel is in, you literally think consciously or unconsciously every day on whether or not something that is threatening to happen, has happened or will happen, uh, is in fact something that could end your existence as a nation. So uh, it, it really put a fine point on it for me that any American sitting in an air-conditioned audience office in Washington, D.C., or somewhere in Manhattan, sitting in judgment of the risk Israel should take for peace, uh, ought to go uh, soak their heads someplace because they have no idea what taking a risk means when your whole country's future depends on everything going right. Well, you've segued exactly into what I, I, I wanted to get into with you. Of course, today's Israeli election day, and I would guess in six to eight months, we'll know who won or who didn't based on how things go over there. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast right here on justthenews.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. Here's a story, and you probably are aware of this, but I bet you 99 out of 100 of our six listeners aren't aware of this past summer hezbollah which is the functional arm of the lebanese government uh targeted uh, israeli oil fields in the mediterranean with drone attacks and the um um they against israel's it's called the karish oil field inside internationally recognized israeli waters uh, the leader of Hezbollah, Hasran Nasrallah, threatened to blow up or sabotage these oil fields if Israel did not surrender a large tract of sovereign Israeli uh, economic zone uh, land under the sea to Hezbollah. And shockingly, stunningly, the Biden administration sided not with Israel but with Hezbollah. And for three months, put incredible pressure on a weak Israeli government to eventually get this Israeli government to capitulate to American and Hezbollah demands. And now uh, the Israeli government has agreed to give uh, Hezbollah or Lebanon this this oil field in Israeli territorial waters. And the argument from the Biden administration sounds very familiar and from the Israeli government, which from my perspective, hopefully is defeated tonight in the polls, that this deal is good, Gary, because Lebanon will now have the billions of dollars it needs to become a functional democracy, abide by the rule of law, and finally get rid of Hezbollah, sign a peace treaty with Israel. This is, isn't this just like China becoming a democracy? Iran will become a responsible state. Uh, now Israel has turned over to Lebanon with no control, no oversight whatsoever, a gas field valued at billions of dollars, 
who wouldn't think that Hezbollah will use that money not to build hospitals or schools or orphanages, but missiles and rockets and terror? You know, Tom, I have to confess, I, I mean, I saw some of the headlines. Anytime I see something involving the Biden administration and, and foreign policy, it gags me immediately because <laughs> I, I, I know it can't be good. As has been famously said, Biden has been wrong about every foreign policy question in his entire 40 or 50 years in Washington, D.C. I, I really hadn't focused on the fact that it's this bad and there's a lot of things to say here, but one of them is this is so uh, predictable of secular foreign policy elites that they think that the divisions in the world are divisions over money and they can be solved by money. They don't understand philosophy. They don't understand religion. They don't understand ideology because their only ideology is an ideology that government must control everything. They don't understand that most people in the world uh, still are motivated by what they think uh, their God wants them to do. And there is no way you can buy off Hezbollah. There's no way you can buy off the mullahs of Iran who think that the uh, Islamic Messiah is going uh, the Islamic uh, Messiah is going to appear at any day now and kill all the Christians and Jews. And we, we, we we're just fools. The, 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 the more troubling thing to me, Tom, is that an Israeli government would succumb to this and, and make that agreement. Are you are you saying the whole field was turned over to Lebanon or a portion of it? Or? 17 percent of the Israeli field, they surrendered to Lebanon. And of course, we have to reiterate, Lebanon is Hezbollah, right? Yeah. The, yes. the, 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 uh, Hezbollah controls that country. Now, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's running to, to be reelected as prime minister today, of course, he's been out of office. He lost a year and a half ago. This is my question, has said... He wants out of that deal. If he wins, is this now going to be a huge crisis when he tries to get out of this deal? Will the Biden administration put more pressure? Uh, Because Bibi won't fold on this, I don't think. Well, Tom, if he wins, uh, well, a couple of things here. Uh, I'm sure we don't have to tell Bibi this, but he and his people need to be watching very closely about how the election is conducted. Because we already know from the past that the Obama administration directly interfered through the State Department and the the election process in Israel in order to hurt BB and elect a government that they thought would be uh, more friendly to them. And it didn't work. And and so I expect that the same thing will will happen now. And if I if if Benjamin Netanyahu is fortunate enough to win and I pray that he does. If I were him, I would just wait a couple of months because I, I think there's a good chance that the Biden administration come January is going to be deeply damaged and in a very weak political position. And it's not going to be able to threaten Israel with anything, let alone threaten any other ally with anything. I mean, he's when uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, when Benjamin Netanyahu came out in strong opposition to this deal after it was pressured by the U.S. and Biden had a ceremony and the whole big to-do. Israeli Twitter tried to censor his comments. Uh, state-run television wouldn't run his speech. The same thing is happening over there 
as is happening here because you've got these mega megalithic giant tech companies that run all over. I mean, Twitter is a U.S. company, but its presence is profound all over the world. I think from an uh, look, there's no question that um, the Israel-U.S. alliance is critically important for Israel. But for 45 years, there's been the sense until Netanyahu that Israel's strength came from that partnership. And I think what Netanyahu showed over the past 12 years is the, the fastest, best, and surest way toward peace is strength, not the other way around. The Washington establishment says peace builds strength. Bibi Netanyahu says that strength builds peace. And I think your suggestion or recommendation uh, for him to, to stall mm-hmm. the ball until January is a good bit of advice. But for my friends in Israel, our friends in Israel, I would say that about the only people on planet Earth who even today take Joe Biden remotely seriously and could possibly be pressured by him is the Israeli government. I, it, like, who cares what Joe Biden says? Uh, look, Tom, I mean, what an indictment, really, that the current Israeli government should be uh, worried about what Joe Biden might do to them. I, Joe Biden has a hard time figuring out where he is. <laughs> uh, uh, again, just this week, he talked about, you know, 54 states. I don't know where he's getting those extra states, but he's got them somewhere. I, I would correct one thing you said Tom, and the only reason I feel like it should be corrected, and it's not a factual thing, it's a it's an opinion, is because uh, is because I'm wrong. That's a pretty well, good reason to correct me. No, no. I, the <laughs> point I was going to make is that it, does does Israel benefit from having uh, the United States as an ally? Yes, but it's not like a lot of our other allies. We benefit greatly. The United States does from having Israel as an ally. Uh, Over the last uh, 10 years or so, I've become more and more skeptical about uh, how America's role in the world tends to go, because getting involved in wars we don't win seem to be an integral part of America's foreign policy. And the people that pay the price are heartland America that the, the American political establishment looks down on with disdain. So I draw a big distinction, however, between Israel and some of our allies in Europe who even today refuse to pay their fair share, even when it comes to a war that's in their own backyard, that they've done better than they've done in some other occasions, but they're still not pulling their own weight. And they get all uppity when we suggest they better start paying their own way, playing, uh, uh, pulling not, their own not. way. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't by any chance happen to be referring to our good friends in Germany, but would you? Yeah, yeah Germany among, among others. So I would just remind our uh, – and by the way, folks, Tom made a joke there about our, our six listeners. I mean, we've got more people listening to this podcast than I have following me on Twitter, Tom. <laughs> so uh, – Israel has never once in all the history of uh, modern history of the country asked for one American son or daughter to die for them. They uh, are committed to their sons and daughters defending their nation. They've asked us to sell them uh, uh, weapon systems. And when we do that, those weapons are built uh, in American factories and provides American jobs. So 
uh, if America disappeared tomorrow, Israel would be in trouble. I think everybody would agree with that. But I would argue that if Israel, God forbid, disappeared tomorrow, America would be in deep trouble. You know, it, it's interesting because you developed um, at the start of your pr- previous segment, or you just said, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time talking today. I've only had two Red Bulls. Uh, maybe that's maybe maybe that's maybe that's part of the problem. But the U.S. helps Israel with uh, defense expenditure. But now what's happened is the pendulum has started to turn. We invest heavily in Israeli R&D, which in turn develops things like the Iron Dome or the arrow missile system or now what's called the Iron Beam, the first electrical impulse laser uh, system that then the U.S. is allowed to develop. So it's a partnership that benefits not only both parties, but a lot of that technology is now appearing in Ukraine. Uh, NATO partners and allies want to purchase it. I think that's a great investment. We invest in Israeli innovation technology. They take that money and develop systems that benefit all of us. Yeah, so Tom, let's uh, let's go to the really big picture. Um, uh Everybody knows, I I hope they know by now, that there is a huge movement, powerful as all get out, big forces behind it, big money behind it for globalism. The the withering away of the nation state, uh, world government and uh, and governance that will be conducted by scientific experts that know better than mere human beings on how we want to live our lives. There's a lot of countries in the world buying into that globalism. There's a lot of countries in the West buying into globalism and are willing to give up their own freedom and liberty to pick their own leaders in exchange for some promise of world peace or whatever. There are two nations in the world that cannot give into globalism without ceasing to be everything they have always been. One of those nations is obviously Israel, because it is the only nation in the world of the Jewish people. And it is a covenant nation. It's a nation whose roots go all the way back to God meeting Abram in the desert and saying, I will be your God. You will be my people. He outlined the land that would be the covenant land of the people of Israel. If Israel ever gives up that for globalism, they will have betrayed everything that makes them the Jewish people. The other nation that can't uh, surrender uh, to globalism is this country whose founders thought we were going to be the new Jerusalem, a shining city on a hill, who believed that God's hand, the same God that met Abram, that God's hand was directing the founding of America, who sent this God, that God sending us all these incredible giants of men, even one of which could have started a new nation. And we had 50 of them. So if we ever succumb to globalism, Uh, In either case, it will be uh, a suicide so profound that all of mankind should weep if they fully understood what it meant for the future. Perhaps the true Armageddon that Joe Biden warned us of is closer than we dare think, but not from nuclear war, from uh, suicide. You have listened. Thank you very much to a Tuesday edition of the Bower and Rose podcast. You can catch us on justthenews.com. 
And wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to hit the subscribe button. I'm not exactly sure where that is, Gary, but everybody says hit the subscribe button. So I do what I'm told and hit the subscribe button. I just did that, and it told me I've got five to one odds that the Redskins will beat Minnesota this weekend. Redskin, you racist. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, that'll wrap it up for us today. Thanks for joining the Bauer and Rose podcast, and we'll catch you later in the week for what I gather will be our last pre-election podcast. Thanks for listening.